Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Trustee Table, a new podcast series from NAIS that provides insights and information for trustees, board chairs, and school administrators on critical governance and leadership issues. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Governance and Leadership, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. David Brazier. David is an associate professor at Stanford University who began his tenure as the faculty director for leadership degree programs in 2013. In addition to leading the policy, organization, and leadership studies master's degree and joint degrees with the Graduate School of Business, the Public Policy Program, and the Law School for the past five years, he has taught courses focused on leadership theory, research, and practice. He has published case studies on strategic decision-making, and his 15-year career as a K-12 educator spans middle and high school teaching in an independent school in Michigan and public high school administration in California. His newest book, Leading Schools to Learn, Grow, and Thrive, Using Theory to Strengthen Practice, was published in January 2019, and most recently, he has been working with TeachFX, a company focused on assessing student engagement. David, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. Well, Anne-Marie, thank you for inviting me to the table. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. So I know that we talk a lot about culture, whether it be school culture or company culture, classroom culture. How would you define culture and how does this apply to the independent school boardroom? Anne-Marie, the way I like to define culture is going back to Edgar Schein's definition because he's the person who really originated the, the thinking around organizational culture. And in very simple terms, He calls it the way we do things around here. And the way we do things involves uh, rituals and ceremonies that guide our behavior through the workday. It involves our expectations of the organization and ourselves. And most important, it centers on the vision and mission of the organization, why we're doing what we're doing and what we hope to get to as a collective. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense, particularly when I think about how you know, schools operate in, in terms of how leaders lead in schools. And so that makes a lot of sense that those same components would be present in the boardroom. So one of my favorite quotes, I think, about culture comes from former IBM CEO, Lou Gerstner, who once said, culture is not just one aspect of the game, it is the game. So in your thinking, why is board culture an important consideration for trustees, um, particularly around strategic planning or decision making? I think there are several reasons that are really important. Um, One is that the board, in order to move their school in a unified direction, really needs to agree on their shared understanding of the vision for the school and um, the school's mission. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people have trouble differentiating between vision and mission. But Mm -hmm. the way I see it is that vision is what you're trying to accomplish over the long haul. We want to be uh, the best independent school in the Midwest. The mission determines how you get there. The mission helps clarify the school's identity. So we get there by focusing on community, or we get to be the best school by focusing on high-quality academics, or however you want to define that. So the board has to have a clear sense of everybody pulling in the same direction um, in order to be able to get things done. That shared vision and mission should then drive their strategic planning. Well, if this, is, if this is where we wanna go to and this is how we're gonna get there, then how do we plan on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis um, to achieve the mission and move toward the vision? Something that I wanted to say about back on the culture question is that you can feel when you're in the room with people 
whether or not they're focused on the same values as embedded in the vision and whether or not they agree on, on how they're going to get there. You gain that knowledge by listening to how they speak with one another and how they interact with one another. I was recently in a school district in Southern California uh, working with TeachFX that you alluded to in the intro. And when I was in the room with assistant principals, there are about 20 schools in this district, I was just amazed at how they greeted each other. Um, I'm standing around waiting to get started and they're all giving each other hugs and greeting mm -hmm. each other with smiles and deeply engaged in talking about their lives and their schoolwork and everything else. And, and so what that says to me is that the culture that's been built up around this cadre of assistant principals is that they like working together and they care about their schools and the kids in those schools. So I think that it's that kind of vibe, so to speak, that boards might be looking for in their own culture to know that they're really supporting each other and that they all want the same things for the for the students in their schools. Wow. I, I just, I love that example that you just gave of, of the assistant principals. Um, because I think that sometimes when we think about culture, it really is sort of like spheres of influence, right? Like, you know, you have the, the school culture, but then you can have department cultures within the school. Of course, you have the, the overall board culture, but then within the board, you've got committees. And I could imagine that committees have their own culture as well. But I love that you kind of brought in that idea of shared understanding around vision and mission. Um, and I really appreciate you clarifying the difference between vision and mission, because sometimes I feel like folks just use those two terms interchangeably, and they're just not the same. <laughs> So, so given that, how do you see board culture impacting the school and community in which trustees serve? That really begins for me with a sort of a truism that I developed for myself as a school leader. And that is that I believe that everyone in the school organization keys their mood and attitude off of the leadership because the leadership is the most visible. You think about teachers functioning most of the time by themselves in classrooms. Where's the anchor for connection? It's, it's really in the school leadership, and the school leadership anchors its connections to some degree in the board of trustees. So my point is that developing a positive culture, if you think about the board of trustees as a mini community, signals to the rest of the school how things are done around here, going back to that idea that the culture explains to people in simple terms and in symbolic terms how things are done around here. So if the board gets along well together, and if the board is unified in their messages, then everyone else in the school system knows how to follow their lead. If the board disagrees with itself, then that creates confusion all the way from the school site administration down into classrooms. To go to the, the main point of your question, um, the impact is really in the, the model that they set for the rest of the school. Now, if you think about that in very practical terms, uh, and going back to our discussion about vision and mission, if they believe, if the board believes that they can achieve their mission by really supporting the whole child and making sure that all the students are cared for in their schools, and that they're not just focused on test scores or college entrance, but they're also focused on the whole child, then they need to convey that kind of caring for the adults in the school as well in order to have a consistent message of caring and support. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's a, actually a very powerful example. And, and I really also liked how you hit on that idea of having sort of a unified message within the community as well, because I think, you know, sometimes boards can get in trouble if they've got trustees who are out there who in the boardroom say, yes, I agree with whatever decision we're making. But then if they go out in their community and they're, you know, I don't know, talking at dinner with some friends or, or at the gym and saying, actually, no, I really didn't support that decision. I don't know what the board is doing. Um, that can really cause some, some dissonance um, within the community. Yes, and I think it's important to recognize that each board member represents a certain kind of constituency, mm-hmm. uh, and those constituents might overlap, but they might not. So it could be that uh, it, it's very common that board members are very connected to, let's say, alumni, mm-hmm. um, while other board members are very connected to parents, or maybe some are connected to both of those major constituencies. Now, that can be very positive if they're sending positive messages that are consistent with the vision or mission, but it can also be powerfully negative if they're sort of talking behind other board members' backs or Mm -hmm. not really supporting what they've publicly said the school is supposed to be doing. That creates confusion and infighting and lots of other kinds of problems. Exactly. So, So given what you just said, how can trustees support and maintain a positive board culture? There are two things that I think are very important. The first one relates to the last point I was just making about constituencies. I think board members need to be mindful that they have a persona as a board member that's different from and separate from their persona as, let's say, a parent in the school or a member of the larger school community as an alumna. And they need to maintain that persona in public, in their public interactions when they're representing the school and the board of trustees. I think another very important aspect of maintaining a positive board culture is, and this aligns with the fact that they're in the business of education, they need to be a learning organization themselves. And by that, I mean they need to be inquiry-based and they need to be willing to look at what their school is doing well and where their school needs to improve. I need to be careful when I say that because I believe that the board's role is really at the policy level, not Mm -hmm. at the operational level. Right. So they need to be looking at the big picture in terms of where we stand and where we'd like to go for improvement. That means that in order to learn, they have to be very open to evidence of whether or not they're meeting their vision and mission. If they're stuck with old beliefs or they don't want to see any change, I think they're going to be in trouble because we know that in education, things are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Expectations are constantly changing. Uh, The experiences that students have change generation by generation. Just look at the tech revolution. And so it's very important for schools to be vital and growing that the board is open to and engaged in learning processes. Now, where this gets difficult is that everyone gets committed to something that they've contributed to, which becomes a part of the status quo. And as things change or as personalities get involved, sometimes we move away from acting in a fashion that's consistent with the vision or mission. And that's natural. We need to be reminded of what we're about. But the problem is that when there's that deviation from vision or mission, it's often not talked about. 
So, for example, if there are some some number of board members, I, I don't know how many, it doesn't matter, but one or two board members are, let's say, not supporting board positions and board policy, other board members may be reluctant to call them on that because it's not really polite to do so. It's against standard kinds of norms. But the, the norms have to be powerful that actually hold people accountable to the consistency that we talked about earlier with the vision and mission. If not, and that deviation is not talked about, it becomes undiscussable and, and therefore impossible to address and impossible to improve. So as a sort of a summary, I think that in order to maintain a positive board culture, all of the board members have to be open to not only learning about the school, but learning about themselves, their own behaviors, their own communications, in order to know whether or not they're consistent and supportive of the vision and mission that they've created. Wow. I really I really appreciate you sort of bringing up that idea of sort of these undiscussables, because I think that if undiscussables become undiscussables, then they kind of become the way we do things around here, right? Like, I imagine over time, that would just be like, oh, well, that's just the way those two people act, or that's just the way that we we function. And then, you know, depending if that's good or bad, it could have really big ramifications. That's absolutely true. Because even if people at the board level aren't willing to discuss the inconsistencies, let's say, Mm -hmm. everybody else sees it. Mm -hmm. And what gets really corrosive is that in many organizations, the undiscussables themselves are undiscussable, (laughs) which makes them self-sealing. If you're not willing to talk about the things that you're not eager to talk about, then you'll never improve in those areas because they're just taboo. Right. And then, you know, what happens, I would imagine, from there is, like you said, whether or not you address it, you're sending an implicit message to your stakeholders. You know, and and I think that that that's something that we sometimes forget, whether we're a teacher in a classroom who lets certain behaviors slide over time and then our students just assume that we find that behavior acceptable um, or a, a head of school allows, you know, some sort of behavior to happen, let's say, during a faculty meeting, and then over time that becomes a norm, or again, here in the boardroom. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Well, you're absolutely right. And the unfortunate thing is that then the school as an organization starts dealing with problems through silence. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult. Um, So there are certain things you just don't say or you don't bring up because it's too dangerous to do so. Uh, And then you lose your agility and your ability to improve. As we talked earlier, you know, this idea of being able to innovate, particularly in such a complex educational landscape is critical. Um, and, and that could just be a, a huge barrier to that work. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So so given all of this, um, you know, I know that NAS, you know, we have a board self-assessment tool that that's quite useful. But in your opinion, what are some informal ways um, to assess board culture that trustees might find helpful? Well, I'm going to start with uh, some formal ways and then go to the informal. Is that okay? That's great. Formally, I think it's important for the board to have their vision and mission in front of them, front and center at all times. So it should be on letterhead, it should be on agendas and everything else. And I think what goes along with that is an articulation of their values. Now, this can appear in a lot of different, um, a lot of different forms. Many people like to work with norms and get agreement on norms ahead of time. I think that's a positive thing to do. 
It could simply be a set of values that they have figured out that are embedded in their vision and mission statements. But what that does is it, it sort of puts in front of people all the time, this is, this is what we're about. This is what we believe in. Because sometimes we need reminders when we get involved in the day-to-day or we get distracted by things. And I think on the informal level, those, uh, the, the vision, the mission, the values or norms need to become a part of the conversation all the time. So when the board is considering some sort of policy that either exists or that they would like to change, and they're having discussions about it, there needs to be a point where one or more people speak up and say, but is this aligned with what we've said we're trying to do? And if it's not, do we need to go back and revisit our vision and mission or values? Or do we need to then otherwise realign the policy issue that we're dealing with because we've deviated from what we said we're about? And that will only happen if people really hold the vision and mission and values dear to what they're doing. Um, So it's really a process of sort of self-monitoring on a moment-by-moment basis as they do their work of the Board of Trustees. Well, that, that's that's great advice, and, and I really appreciate you bringing that, that idea. It's almost like reflective practice, right? They've got to be constantly, as a trustee, thinking about, you know, how are my actions, how is my, you know, values, how is everything really aligning to the, to the vision and mission and, you know, what we, what we say that we're about. Yes. And I want to go back to the undiscussables issue for a moment. I also think that as an informal procedure, it would be helpful if boards were tolerant of somebody sort of putting the brakes on whatever discussion they're having, if they sense that there's an undiscussable in the room, that they would allow themselves to bring up undiscussables and to open them up and talk about what has previously been undiscussable to resolve that first before they move on. And the reason that I say that is that if you allow the undiscussables to fester, then you get to strange conclusions that are inexplicable because you're dancing around this thing that nobody wants to talk about. That takes a great deal of courage on the part of the individual to open up the undiscussable because it's not socially acceptable to do so. Undiscussables exist in order to paper over social differences. And so if it can become a norm that we that we just don't let undiscussables continue, then you'll have many fewer of them. And I think that the, um, the sense of working together will be much, much stronger. That's an excellent point. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, the person most likely to uncover an undiscussable, even accidentally, would be the new trustee, right? The, the person who just comes on the board and, you know, starts to question, you know, well, why do we do that? And, and that could be an opportunity for the board to really engage in that kind of uncovering of, you know, a possible undiscussable or just, you know, kind of reevaluate the way that they do things. I think that's absolutely true. And I'd like to say a few things about the notion of community. I think that the most positive sort of outcome for a board of trustees or any group that's working together over the long term is that they're able to create a sense of community. And by that, what I mean is that they support each other personally and professionally as they work toward common goals. And in communities, different people play different roles. And that can be irritating at times. But a positive or a supportive community moves past those irritations to really help others understand and also to be inquiring and listen to what ideas may may be irritating at first. So if you take the example of the new 
trustee. That person comes in naive to what it means to be a trustee and what the issues are in the school because they haven't been in this position before. And so it's the role of the community to help them become less naive and to learn about board procedures without squashing their initiative or their bringing in fresh perspectives. So again, it goes back to part of the culture being maintaining an inquiry perspective. In practical terms, it might go something like this. Well, Anne-Marie, you just said something that I find really positive after my 10 years on the board. So I'd like to know more about, about why you said that, as, to, as opposed to saying, well, Anne-Marie, that's just not how we do things. So you need to sit and listen for a year uh, mm -hmm. until, until we're ready to hear from you. Very <laughs> different kind of message. Absolutely. And that's a great example. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. I know that the insights you've shared with us are going to be incredibly helpful to our members. Well, you're welcome. I really had a good time. These are issues that I love to talk about. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.